Welcome back to the Next Community Podcast. I am Angelo Luciani and very excited to be with you once again. This week I thought we'd sit back and listen to a panel discussion from the .next user conference which took place in Miami last month. This panel discussion was titled The New Enterprise IT Stack and was moderated by Julie O'Brien from Nutanix. The featured panelists were Alan Cohen from Illumio, Alex Polvi from CoreOS, Diraj Pandey from Nutanix, and J.R. Rivers from Cumulus Networks. We like to call these folks the Chief Disruption Officers. So with that, let's listen in. Um, Now, without further ado, I would like to bring up my panel. So we've been talking a lot about disruption to the enterprise IT stack. Um, And this group of folks is doing just that in all of their respective areas. So first up, uh, Alan Cohen, who is the Chief Commercial Officer for Lumio. Alan, welcome up. Please grab a seat, grab a water if you'd like. Alex Colby is also joining us. Alex is the CEO of CoreOS. Alex, welcome. Great. And JR Rivers. JR is the CEO and founder of Cumulus Networks. And then, of course, our own Deerj Pandey, who we all know and love as our Nutanix founder and CEO. So, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <Woo. laughs> yeah. Okay, so absolutely no pressure, but did I mention this is our closing session? And so it needs to be fun and lively. Are we lively getting graded on this? Like, where there's, like, scores and everything? That's right. There will wow. be scores, yeah, and entertaining. Oh, Colby. So <laughs> Just kidding. no pressure whatsoever. <laughs> so as I mentioned, you know, we've been talking a lot about um, disruption to the traditional enterprise IT stack. And you all are, respectively, displacing or doing things differently to change up the landscape in your respective areas. So maybe, Alan, we could start with you, talk a little bit about what Illumio is doing and what you're displacing. And we'll uh, that's a good question, Julie. So sure. Illumio is a data center and cloud security company that has built a software stack for uh, basically recreating network security without any dependency on the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So it works on any computing environment, works on any computing infrastructure, has no dependency on things like hypervisors or boxes. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, so to the extent no one else is doing that, we're, we're a little early. But definitely we're, I would say, in deep competition with the people, the traditional network security box crowd. Um, we're, we're, we're going where they can't go. We're taking security where they can't go. Okay. All right. And Alex? Um, Alex Polvey, CEO of CoreOS. Um, we are square in the middle of this emerging containers slash distributed systems um, space that's happening right now. I like to characterize it as... Google's infrastructure for everyone else. It's this operational model that we've seen from the hyperscale guys and adapting that um, back to all the companies that want it but don't have it because they don't want to invest in the technical resources to do it or it's just too complicated. Um, and so we're, we're, we're not swapping out. Um, you know, we're not yanking your existing VMware environment or something like that. It's, it's about uh, the next platform that you, that you would have potentially in your infrastructure, the a future operational model where you shift from thinking about infrastructure to how, how do you manage applications and that, have that be the first class citizen in your environment. So more of a disruptive introduction rather than necessarily like a displacement. I would well, you know, for a company, growth is what matters, right? So I'd argue displacement in the sense of we hope we're we are where the the growth. Uh, of a lot of compute will be in the future, but you know that's the bet. That's why we're a startup, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay, JR. Hi, we help customers build uh, really fast networks to, in the context of building out distri- highly distributed applications. Mm-hmm. Um, we do this by you, know, you can think of us as 
from a technology perspective is taking a Cisco networking platform and ripping the hardware and software apart and recognizing that the hardware is mostly industry standard and there's lots of people you can buy that from and you need some software that you trust. And that's us. It's a networking operating system. We help people acquire gear fa uh, cheaper, faster, deploy it easier and faster, save money, less time on infrastructure, more time on applications. Sounds pretty good. So, Darius, we've been talking a lot about Nutanix and yeah. Wait, who's Nutanix? <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys do? Yeah. <laughs> we disrupt ourselves. We disrupt ourselves, we do. So, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, uh, especially for the panel, because I'm sure people have uh, been here, and if they were to uh, really ask the same question, looks like we haven't done a good job of the conference then, you know, because they don't know who we are. <laughs> but yeah, we are uh, we're trying to build. Uh, uh, infrastructure that's invisible, and uh, a big part of that is to uh, really collapse and compress uh, storage and switches and, and compute into a single layer. Mm -hmm. And uh, going forward, we uh, want to really make uh, virtualization invisible and even public cloud invisible. And there's a lot of uh, analytics and automation and orchestration that needs to go into this next generation um, enterprise computing platform, mm -hmm. which we call the extreme computing platform. Mm -hmm. So we, um, we had Ray Paquette here yesterday from Gartner, and he was talking about bimodal IT and just how you have to start thinking differently about where you're investing and how you're investing. So can you talk a little bit about the sort of the customer profile that is attracted to your solution or technology, right? Is it somebody who's, who's really thinking about their investments in that sort of bimodal framework, or what are some of the either characteristics of the solution that draws them to you, or as you're having conversations with customers, how do you convince them that it's actually okay to place their bets with uh, the upstarts? So maybe, JR, we'll start with you first on that one. Oh, no, put me on the spot. <laughs> so, um, you know, we're pretty lucky in that we've, we have a really good understanding of customers that, that like our technology and we make sense to, and it's uh, it's companies that have decided that on the infrastructure side they want to collapse themselves to IT generalists. Inevitably, we, you know, we kind of play in this physical space networking. Bits fly from point A to point B. It matters. But you don't want to have a huge staff there. That, this is a means to an end. It's not an end to itself. So you have cloud admins that stand up your servers, your compute, your storage infrastructure, the networking. Typically, IT generalists, they, they understand Linux, they love it, they love automation, they want to be able to acquire the pieces of hardware where there's not tremendous amounts of value add from a set of suppliers that are both broad and dependable. Mm -hmm. um, there's cases where they're going to buy a piece of hardware that maybe is more special case or, or you know, differentiated. They want to be able to have those, use those selectively as, as opposed to holistically. Mm -hmm. um, and inevitably, the teams are small, nimble, fast, and intelligent. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. How about Alex? In general, our, the companies, what they're doing is building software in some form. Now, you know, many companies write software these days. It's not just the normal kind of Silicon Valley type companies. Many you know, companies are building software for all sorts of reasons. Um, but the space we're in um, is very, like, again, it's very emerging right now. Like, the products are just starting to hit 1.0s and, like, really get production ready and everything. So we're on a normal technology adoption curve. It reminds me of like 2006 EC2, 2007 EC2, where it was like a delta in the way we run infrastructure, but it, it uh, lots of a buzz, lots of excitement, but still it's gonna, we're on a normal technology adoption curve there. Um, but, but they all share in common our companies that are writing software, which are large and small. We run into you know, the, the Fortune 
the big guys as well as the startups kind of all over the place. But when we're running into them, we're still in an early adopter, you know, try it out type mode because everything mm-hmm. is so moving, you know, emerging as we speak. Mm-hmm. How about you, Alan? Well, I guess, you know, our customers are kind of bimodal. So we have uh, customers like Plantronics and Creative Artists who have moved large parts of their infrastructure into Amazon and didn't have a good security answer. And then we have large customers like Morgan Stanley uh, who are very large compute infrastructure, and then we have people who go between them. I'd say that for us, our customers are people who have compelling events. Uh, Unfortunately, the worst compelling event is they've been hacked or their fear of being hacked, so they needed that kind of visibility and control um, in their environment. But our customers are, are, for the most part, people who see the change in the computing infrastructure, including making infrastructure invisible, and they want to take advantage of that, and they want to not have to recreate their security model again and again based on the infrastructure they're working on so I think they're increasingly not just uh, early adopters. They're, I think, the beginning of the earlier majority. People see what Alex is doing and JR is doing, what you guys are doing. They want that advantage. They want their business to move faster. They want to be more agile. They want a better cost performance footprint. And they can't have their security as the boat anchor that's tied to various forms of their infrastructure to do it. So that's how we get brought in. Okay. Dirge, any comments? Yeah, I mean, I would uh, second everything that all three of the panelists have said. Uh, more for creating generalist teams, uh, generalist IT. Because once you abstract away the details of the lower layers, then most people will focus on applications and services that really run their businesses. Um, I think the one area that we can do better, which we, is aspirational for us, is large service providers. You know, I think, uh, And that's not because uh, we don't have a product, but it's just that we just didn't have the focus. You know? mm-hmm. And um, I think... We'll learn more about, uh, but otherwise it's a very horizontal technology. We are in pretty much every vertical, small customers, large customers, mid-market customers as well. So listening to you each talk about sort of the value proposition that you bring, you have a great vision. Um, There are incumbents out there, so why wouldn't one of the incumbents just latch on to that vision and say, hey, that sounds really good, you know, we're doing that too. You mean on PowerPoint or in software? (laughs) (laughs) So in software, you know, it turns out it's really hard to change an architecture. So you build your architecture around a certain construct to come to, let's say, with the things we're doing. It really actually doesn't port. In fact, a lot of what I think about with this next generation of new stack players is that the the architectural foundation is so different. Mm-hmm. You can't. You're actually creating new functions. You're not just creating a new server or a new networking device or a new storage device. You're actually changing the function themselves, and I think that's a challenge. And then the second one is small teams build, beat big teams all day long. That's 30 years of technology disruption. Because if it was easy for large incumbents to do what what Illumio does. Mm-hmm. There would be somebody else sitting here today. Right? I mean, it, just, it's, it actually turns out it's really hard to get it right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyone else want to comment on the incumbents and how easy it is for them to... Yeah, I can take a stab at it, too. I mean, yeah. um, you know, and I have a philosophical answer to this, which is more like large companies' enemies is within, uh, just like small companies' enemies within. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard for them to really fight uh, smaller companies because they're less agile, there's more politics... This is the classic innovator's dilemma. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're constantly pandering to Wall Street for everything, and uh, what becomes less important than is customers and employees and partners. So there's a lot of internal conflict. So this is beyond technology. This is about execution, you know, because everybody knows what needs to be done. It's not like people in the large companies don't know that, you know, these things should be done. 
the question is, could it be done? You know? mm-hmm. And uh, that's where most large companies actually fall from. But yeah. I think what you're going to see is a shift over the next few years of, of the makeup of how IT is produced and consumed. Um, the way we do it you know, up till now is you have these large companies that want to try and build everything themselves. I own it all. This is my whole world. Everybody else stay out. You know, my world. I am IBM. Alan loves to use this one. Um, I don't think you're ever going to build an IBM anymore. Um, take a look at a basketball team and look at how that works. So a basketball team, there's owners. And someone who owns the basketball team will be there for 20, 30 years. The star player is going to shift. And the basketball team is going to go through cycles. And what happens is these young, hungry, aggressive players are going to come in and they're going to keep the team moving. And, uh, and so you see the partner starts to transition. So you know, we work with a bunch of different hardware partners, um, but I'm going to use Dell as an example because it's, it's a really good one to use. Um, Michael, I had a, a call with Michael Dell one time, really weird setup to it, but we were talking to him out and he said, tell me about Cumulus Networks, and I told him what we were doing and everything. And he said, so I have a networking business. It's doing fine. Why do I care? And I said, well, today you make customers like your software to buy your hardware, and you don't do that anywhere else in your business. And he paused for a little while and he said, you're right. And now we're partners. Because he recognizes that and more, more than the fact that we're partners, but on the networking side, they, they've went from wholly owned, self-contained networking appliances to what they call open networking. Mm-hmm. So you buy a network source from Dell, from henceforward, you'll be able to put multiple variants of software on that platform. Mm-hmm. Pretty crazy change, but Michael recognized it as Dell. I'm like the owner of the basketball team. I have a stadium, I have a venue, I want to be able to sell tickets and popcorn and all that good stuff, and all kinds of players are going to come in. This is what I've done in the server business forever. I'm going to do this in networking. I'm going to do this in storage. I want to be the clearinghouse. I'm, I'm the place where everybody drives to and parks their cars, mm-hmm. but I can't possibly develop all the technology. It's, there's no way. It's mm-hmm. a good analogy. Yeah. Anything you'd like to add? Um, I, I guess I would just like to say that this is a bit of, I think, classic startup mode right now. You have to out-execute, now innovate the big guys and get the market before the, they they go there. In our space, it's not for the faint of heart by any means. There's all the big vendors are already woken up to it, uh, as well as a number of super well-funded startups um, operating it here too. Um, but this, this way of running infrastructure we think has a, a huge benefit to the industry. And at the end of the day, um, you know, I want to win and I believe we can win. But the whole industry is going to get there by an ecosystem telling the world to do it, and we need that shift to happen. Like, if, if we're the only vendor saying, we want you to automatically apply a patch to your server, that might scare everybody off. But if everybody's like, we can, we can manage updates and do things that way, then it, it helps just move the, industry, move the industry forward. And so that part is very, very exciting. It's like, if, if I go build the most secure container runtime out there and someone beats me, well, we have a way more secure internet overall, and we're happy to compete on that because it's better for everybody. Mm-hmm. I think one thing I also want to just add to this discussion is that uh, one way to really pose your question is uh, how do you folks go and break the account control that incumbents mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. on accounts? And I think we talked about some of that mm-hmm. in the past as well. That account control argument is very quickly actually weakening uh, because customers can do more with less. I mean, doing POCs is much faster, log- logistics, uh, WebExes, hosted in proof of concept, getting things up and running, dragging and dropping an app from an old world to the new world. Um, you know, all those things are happening, which shrinks this cycle of creative destruction. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, there's a lot more awareness about what's out there than what used to exist 10 years ago. So I think the whole argument about we have better account control uh, is what we as startups also need to look at and say, how can we really weave through that and mm -hmm. get to the true north, which is uh, customer delight. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny you bring that up because, you know, I'm pretty old. And when I started my career in the networking world, there was this saying that, that you know, used to be all over the place. You never get fired for buying IBM. Well, is that true anymore? Yeah, sure. Right. No, not really. <laughs> so what, what happens is at some point in time, from a cost center to an organization, a, you know, a particular company with massive amount of account control starts to rise themselves up to be a problem. And it's not just a problem from my spend. It's a problem from the way my team thinks. That, you know, many times, if, if I'm a supplier and I want account control over Nutanix, pretty soon I'm doing your thinking for you. And at some point, you as a CIO or whoever runs infrastructure, whatever, looks at this and says, no, this is not okay. Our team needs to think for themselves. Yeah. I, don't need, I don't want anybody to have account control. Yeah. Right? And so then eventually you percolate, say, percolate yourself up. You, you're, the CapEx is typically, you know, the spend is really high. The operating expertise starts to decline. And now your dependency is too large. And so companies along the way eventually decide they're going to break account control. Yeah. Happened to IBM. Happened to DAC. It's going to happen to today's incumbents. Yeah. It's just a natural cycle. Any other thoughts on that? Alan's laughing. I know. No, I mean, look, you know, I, I mean, what, I mean, what, what JR is saying is like it's not a layer eight game anymore, right? It's not like you're a tech company and you send your sales guy out. My my favorite story about account control is early on, about a year and a half ago, while we were still in stealth, went on a sales call to a customer with, with an SE. And, you know, nobody does PowerPoint anymore, right? You go right to the demo, right, because it's a show-me market. Mm -hmm. And the uh, customer we were showing in, uh, our products, who was a DevOps person, was one of the first DevOps people we met, because normally we call on security people or infrastructure people. And, and this guy turned around and said, he said, could I do this? And he pushes the SE aside, he grabs the keyboard, and he starts flying through our UI and configuring the product. And th that the world we're moving into is like if you like if customers can't do that with your product, mm -hmm. it doesn't make a difference what you say mm -hmm. if you're an incumbent. And th that was the most telling sales call I think I had in years. I mean, many of you here, right? I mean, when you're when you're looking at vendors, it's like, yeah, they they can do some things, but it's a show me market. As uh, Duresh said, you know, it's very quick to do a POC. You know, we can set you up very quickly. And, you know, nobody goes to a travel agent anymore and says, well, some people do, but they don't say, book my whole trip, right? People do their own research. They figure out what hotel to go to. They figure out where they want to eat. They do all these things. Why wouldn't you think they would buy technology the same way as a reply, to, as opposed to saying, oh, travel and leisure said I should go there, mm -hmm. right? So I, th I just think consumers are, you know, app developers are in charge, and they're the new consumers in IT, and they are driving the, the cycle. So for myself, I'm at least as old as JR and have an infrastructure back background, you know, the concept that, oh, I'll just buy from the same vendor and it's all good and I'm just replacing my infrastructure, that model ended five years ago. It may just take a while till they realize the bullet went through mm -hmm. um, the yeah. body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, one, one other thing, there's, there's a lot to learn from these guys as well. Uh, the incumbents uh, have a few things going right for them, uh, business process, uh, automation, things like that. Um, but, and the other thing that they're going for them is they don't change code that much, so it probably st stays uh, a little bit more, like, especially if you look at mainframes, you know, for example, you know. Uh, but I think what they do with the waterfall, you know, process of engineering cycles for three years and so on, the only way to shrink it to six-month engineering cycles or eight-month engineering cycles is to really do a lot more automation. And, and, and agile is only possible 
when you know how to compensate for velocity mm -hmm. uh, with care and reliability testing and integrity testing. And I mean, part of Silicon Valley's biggest bane, I mean, it's also a friend, is velocity is the biggest friend of Silicon Valley. But people forget that you need to compensate it with uh, just a lot of uh, forethought into reliability and availability and stability and things mm -hmm. like that. Okay, great. Um, I think I have time probably for two more questions from, from you all. Uh, the first one is uh, in May's edition of Harvard Business Review, there was an article. Yeah, I read it on the flight down. I did too. Yeah. Um, it was fun. <laughs> uh, categorizing things either as disruptive innovation or sustaining innovation. And um, part of the way that they were defining what sustaining was, it's something that has been developed. Um, it, is a, it is a new introduction, but it's really kind of incremental, maybe at a higher price or something. But it really hasn't created just dramatic shifts or new ecosystems. And I'm curious, as you look in your respective areas, if you see something that maybe is sustaining versus disruptive and anything that you would comment on or has been categorized as disruptive but is truly more of a sustaining. Yeah, I'm happy to start, Julie. You know, there's a little test in the market. Anytime, and I should be careful, I didn't look at your websites before I got here. If a vendor says they're next generation something, that means they're not. Right? <laughs> it's like, so if you're a next generation security, you're, you're a next smiling already, actually. Yeah, right? Note to you, self as a marketing person. <laughs> yeah, right? The note to self is. Right? <laughs> if you're a next generation firewall, you're just a firewall with new bells and whistles, right? You're still sitting in the same place in the infrastructure. Um, you're still providing many of the same functions. You may be adding some new ones, and there's certainly tons of value to sustaining disruption. That's a great term. That's like, um, I'm a centrist uh, conservative. Um, but I think, uh, I think there, there's, a, there's a dead indication. In our space, we, you know, it's a real indication. So at Illumio, we provide security for the 80% of the data center in the cloud that the perimeter technology doesn't get to. Mm -hmm. So there there's really isn't anything there that we're bumping into. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty good indication if you're going to, a, look, it's the same problem for incumbents, for next generation vendors, for disruptors. Customers have exactly the same issues. Mm -hmm. But if you run into a space and no one else is there, you probably have a good indication that you're, you have a chance to be pretty disruptive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Any other comments that you, or thoughts as you've looked across I, your respective areas? Yeah, this, so again, in our space, there's kind of two buckets. There's containers and distributed systems, and they kind of seem coming together. The containers piece and Docker and, and these pieces are what a lot of people are talking about and like kind of driving the discussion. I think it's a little bit of an indirection in that the container technology has been around for a while, and really when you really distill it all down, it's, it's an alternative form of package management. You can integrate it with existing systems like you know, configuration management systems or all the cloud providers have figured out a way to plug in a container. So while we packaged it differently, and that's great, and it solved a lot of problems around dependencies and things, the actual way we use our software didn't change. Now on the distributed system side, with things like Kubernetes or Mesos or... Um, or you know, some of these pieces that are emerging around that, that is actually a change in operational model for many, many companies. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's distinctly different than what we were doing before. It means when you're running you know, 20 versions of your app, or 20 instances of your application out there, one of them dies, it doesn't fire a pager anymore. Uh, a system notices that and re-spins up that version to give you that, that complete package again. Mm -hmm. And it's, it means a server can go down and your application keeps running. It means you can add more machines and get more capacity. Mm -hmm. It means start focusing on the application as the primitive instead of that underlying server as the object. And I think that that piece of it, which requires a container to be packaged in there as well, don't get me wrong, um, but that piece is really the, 
the big change that's happening right now because of this. And keep in mind, with all the container stuff, we could have just put that in Chef and Puppet and kind of continued to do things the way we were doing it before, and technically that all works. But all the vendors operating the space are, are trying to use this container momentum to really change the way we operate our infrastructure overall, and that's the, that's the truly disruptive piece of it. Hmm. Okay. I, I always have a hard time with this question because I'm completely convinced that everything that we believe is disruptive was invented on Star Trek. Mm. Um, <laughs> and so... Um, Theorized. <laughs> exactly. That's all sustaining. Right. And so, um, you know, with that in mind, when you look at disruption, it, it's, it becomes very, very hard pragmatically to invent a new piece of disruptive technology in today's day, day and age. There's plenty of people have come before us, you know, physicists, scientists, computer scientists. There's all these ideas that exist, and likely if you distill any one idea, it, it was conceived of long before before you ever you know, thought about it, no matter how you know, proud of ourselves we are. What becomes slightly disruptive is, is how it gets packaged and applied you know, gets into the hands of customers and how it affects ecosystems, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I look at where we're at with Cumulus Networks and we basically do a networking OS. Well, people have done networking OSs. Mm-hmm. This is not rocket science. It by itself is not disruptive. What it does do is the, the way we bring it to the market, the way we structure the company allows customers access to high-capacity networking at cost points they've never been able to have before. So that means they can build way better networks than they could, which allows them to deploy technologies like Nutanix without having to worry about some crappy 1-gig Ethernet that's you know, killing the storage bandwidth. You know, they're going to be running 10-gig and 40-gig and 25-gig and 100-gig. It's going to keep going, and so it's going to allow the scale of the Nutanix platform to keep up because we help them get access to this, this network technology in a way they could never get access to before. The other part of it is a disruption in, in the, the ecosystem. Who are the players? Who, who's the supply chain look like? Who are the partners? Right? Who comes together, and how do customers think about the evolving acquisition of, of IT resources to solve their specific business problem? I think those are phenomenally disruptive. Okay, great. Dirinj, yeah. anything you want to add? Yeah, I mean, you know, to me, the semantics of disruption is a little bit overloaded. It should be disruptive to the incumbents, not to the end customers. And it's very important. <laughs> right. I mean, sometimes they're like, oh. You don't get invited back if, if you're I sell something, no, but it's disruptive. You've got to change everything the way you did it. Like, that's yeah. what doesn't fly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think as long as the apps that customers have, especially in the large enterprise, we can carry them along with us, mm-hmm. that disruptive technology is now non-disruptive to the customer. Mm-hmm. It's disruptive to the incumbents, but extremely non-disruptive and seamless to the end customer. I'd like to push on that a little bit. I think when we see true, meaningful technology change, it is disruptive somewhat, because we need to break loose of the previous model somewhat. One that comes to mind is like our phones. There was a demarcation point where that changed. Yes, they still allowed us to make phone calls, but like the way we interacted with that the iPhone makes a phone. You can make a phone call. But I think uh, <laughs> Alex, let, me, let me put it this way. If, you know what I mean. If the phone didn't have a a, 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 a dial pad, suppose the dial pad was taken away from you. Okay. Right. right. Or the copy and paste was taken away for you for a, forever on the iPhone. I mean, it didn't have in the first version. They didn't have copy and paste. Right. Well, I argue when you were, had a little dial pad, you couldn't copy paste at all, right? That, that would Different. have been disruptive to you. The okay. fact that the dial pad was taken away, the copy and paste was taken away, uh, the way you look at refresh of a website, the way you kill the application, I mean, those kind of things are user interface, user experience questions. Mm-hmm. Those things, I mean, Microsoft tried this, you know, in a big way, right. you know, and didn't succeed. At the end of the day, just because X Windows gave to client server uh, UX, finally when the browsers came through, people knew what a single click and a double click was. Mm-hmm. We didn't have to learn a single click and a double click, right? Mm-hmm. So just because things move from client server based apps to 
internet-based apps, the user experience was the true north, mm. right? And that cannot be played with too much. I mean, even um, when the antenna gate happened and, and Steve Jobs was very frivolous in saying, you're holding the phone wrong, <laughs> people said, <"What> are you <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm holding the phone that's wrong, and that's why I'm not getting a signal. So even the best companies finally have to bend over backwards to please the end user for user experience. Mm-hmm. And that cannot, I mean, that's just sacrosanct, you know. Mm-hmm. You have to live with what the end user wants in terms of user experience, you know. Yeah. So what you're doing, you'll realize that bottoms of technology will take us a certain distance, but top-down, like, mass adoption is for the 80%, not for the 20%, mm-hmm. right? And every company in the valley wants to, dreams to become a company that's good for 80%, not just for the 20%. And that 80% is about really making it simple. Mm -hmm. And going back to their side and saying, how do they work? How do they use this stuff? As opposed to the power user, which is saying, I can just code everything from scratch. Mm -hmm. So I think in that sense, I think the 80% cannot be disrupted and messed around with. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right, very good. One more comment, then we're going to do our lightning round. So I I do do think there's, since you provoked, I'm going to go, so follow me, everybody. (laughs) Create a triangle, right? This is not a group. You don't have to participate. But at the The top of that triangle... Put it on your forehead. (laughs) On the top of that triangle, think about people who create applications and devs people. And I call those people the Department of Go. On this right-hand side, there are infrastructure people, and they are traditionally, by the way, I'm an infrastructure person, so they are people who are slow. And then there are security people on the other side of that triangle, and they're the department of no, yeah. right? So the disruption in our industry is getting no and slow to move to go. So I think if you can do something a lot faster mm-hmm. than you used to do it before, that might be the biggest disruption. In a way, to your point, that a well customer said. doesn't have to blow up how they do things, that might be the biggest disruption that's going to happen in this way. I like that. Good visual. Okay, so in the few minutes, we have, do this. <laughs> in the few minutes we have left, then um, flash forward three to five years from now and we're seated here, what does the enterprise IT stack look like? Who'd like to start? I'll go first, because I'm sure Alan has a lot to say about this. (laughs) Uh, I believe that you're going to see it start to be, to some degree, uh, in-customer-specific. The ecosystem I see around IT, especially system IT in general, is one where there's a lot of different pieces that can all come together. The the companies couple reasonably loosely. It's not that hard to to work with a broad variety of partners and provide... Seem, you know, complementary solutions that they, they may be slightly overlapping in the partner side mm-hmm. and what you're going to see is certain verticals or industries or companies specifically will pick that up. Um, as an example, uh, you know, some of our largest service provider companies that we, that we work with, they have a, a, a stack that they use that's mostly homegrown, some of us, some a few other people they put on the side. Mm-hmm. You go to a bank and the banking customer will have us plus three or four other you know, infrastructure type companies that they work with And that's how they've built their stack that makes sense. You look to a service provider, again, same thing. They have a stack. It's built up of a a different set of companies. Um, You're going to start seeing, uh, uh, and you're even seeing it now, value-added resellers are coming in. They're recognizing this is going on. They pick companies that they can put together and offer answers to their constituencies in a reasonably straightforward way. And it's done not through these highly engineered systems solutions from one company or highly engineered partnerships from a couple companies, but loosely coupled companies that have come together and the technology works really well. So it requires people like us to be very, very ecosystem aware. You can't put silos in and say, I'm only going to work with you and not with you, because it's not going to play. Okay. Darren, sure. Yeah, sure. I mean, 
Um, so my predictions five years from now, um, a lot of things that are mediocre, when I say mediocre, I mean they're neither interesting nor they're cheap. Because if it's interesting, people are willing to pay for it. If it's cheap, they're like, well, yeah, there's a place for it. Mm. But anything in the middle, like, you know, the storage array is going to become uninteresting because things will either be object storage and will be in the cloud or they're going to be converged. You know, it's going to be close to the application. So I think the storage array is going to be un become uninteresting. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, fiber channel is going to become uninteresting because 10 gigabit Ethernet, 40 gigabit Ethernet, you know, Ethernet everywhere, right? I mean, that's going to be everywhere. Uh, obviously, things are converging, so everything has become pure software. And uh, IT will actually do more, a lot more meaningful stuff around apps, which is going back to consumer-centric stuff, line-of-business-centric stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. That must resonate with you, Alex, on the app side. So yeah, on the app side, now, I'd love to say the whole world changes to run a distributed system and everything <laughs> is great, but we know how slow, uh, we know how slow IT adoption is of these technologies. So it's, it's going to take a while for, for the world to change. I am confident that companies are moving this way. Again, we work with every major industry vendor out there, and they are all working on strategies around how do we educate our customers to run infrastructure in this distributed application-focused way. So I'm confident that is coming, but I'm also, I guess, a bit realistic that the changes will take a while to permeate unless we nail the user experience pieces and, and really make it easy for companies to, to adopt. You know, it'll, it's, a, it's a substantial change with a lot of benefits, but there are hurdles to get over for it to be adopted, meaning you know, it's, gonna, it's a marathon, not a sprint to it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Alan, bring I'll, us home. I'll give you three predictions. So you know, this morning was really interesting listening to Dr. Rice talk about overlapping interests. So my prediction is that it won't, nothing is absolute, but five years from now, the stack will be less of a stack. It'll be more of a distributed set of relationships and ecosystems and partnerships and APIs. And my prediction is, as part of that, there'll be 10,000 people here, not 1,000 people, because what I, what, I, what I think you guys have done with Acropolis and what you're doing is you've started to remove the pain from more of letting that distributed computing world to, to happen. So I probably will never be allowed to speak here again, but at least I can say I was at the first one <laughs> at the closing keynote. Um, you, know, you know, my second prediction is that the, the application folks are actually going to be running the world. Uh, the, the idea that I built an app, I then onboarded into infrastructure, and then I secured it, it's not going to look like that in five years. People are going to build all these capabilities into the application cycle, probably on tools that don't exist today, as opposed to having to just, you know, API, you know, glue that together. And I, you know, and I think that for those of us who are in IT, actually I think IT is going to be revitalized um, increasingly as an end-user profession because you cannot run a business anymore without you know, the computing infrastructure to do it. And I think the customer base really realizes this. Um, one of my investors is Mark Benioff, who you know, just spent 15 years building a very, you know, very large SaaS company. And when he launched Salesforce, he says, no one's ever going to use it, right? And he took all of this pain. And you know, what he did is he made a very specific user group, meaning salespeople, and effectively the ERP application they used to run it, he made it so much more painless um, than anyone else did that. And today, there's, you know, I mean, I'm sure they have lots of competitors, but I don't know anybody who uses anything other than Salesforce. So they catalyze an entirely different way to consume software. Like, a third, and it's interesting, when you buy SaaS, you actually buy the infrastructure, operations, 
uh, application and security model of the SaaS provider, right? You're renting it from them. You have no control over it. And if people are willing to do that for key functions, um, I think they're going to start to think about that way in their own IT infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of these things are going to happen pretty fast. All right. So we'll have you back in three to five years and see if you're right. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> Thank you so much for helping us close out um, .next 2015. It's been great to have you, and thanks for being part of our ecosystem. So how about a big round of applause for Thanks for listening. I trust you found it insightful and informative. I encourage you to follow Nutanix on Twitter for latest news and announcements. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And if you haven't done so already, download Community Edition and continue the conversation over at the next community, next.nutanix.com. And with that, I am Angelo Luciani. See you next time.